It's great to be together this morning. I was um, just recently reflecting on one of my absolute favorite memories of when our two little girls were small, Elise and I raising them. And from time to time, I had the privilege of uh, fetching them from, from crash. And in particular, I can remember our youngest daughter, Greta, who now, 30 years later, has got two boys of her own. Um, time stops for nobody. But uh, I remember fetching her, and invariably, this scene would play out. Every time. Without fail. When I walked through the doors of the crash, at least four things would happen. She could be the furthest point away, 30, 40, 50 meters. But when she looked up and she saw me, she dropped everything. Everything that she was busy with. She could be covered in dust and mud. Didn't matter. She would, she would fix her eyes on me. She would stretch her arms out wide. And she started running. And she wouldn't stop until her arms were firmly locked around my neck. Without fail. Every time. You see, in those moments... I represented to her everything that was good, that was safe. She could come to me knowing that in my arms she'd be loved, she'd be cared for, she'd be nourished. It was a good place for her to be. She may even on an odd day get a treat on her way home. As I've been thinking about that, and thinking about my walk with my Heavenly Father, I so wish that it could resemble a little bit more of what I experienced with my daughter. Because, let's get this right, our Heavenly Father is waiting for us every moment of the day. That I know. I know that every moment of this day His arms are stretched out, open wide, and He's waiting to, for me to come to Him. I also know in my heart and in my head that this is the best place for me to go to, that with Him I'll be loved and cared for and forgiven and receive grace. Everything is with Him. We sang about this morning in so many of the songs that real life is found in God's arms. That's where we belong. That's why He created us, is to be in a worshipful relationship with Him. The art of losing ourselves in God's presence. That's where real life is found. I know it. And yet, more often than not, I find myself drifting, wandering, looking for what I can only find from Him, real life, in other places. And that's just a very nice way of saying that pride creeps into my heart. And the result of pride is the quest to be self-reliant, self-sufficient, independent, sovereign. And my friends, that is not where we find life. That is not life. But fortunately, as I open the book, the Scriptures, I discover that I'm in good company. And that many characters in the Bible have the same struggles as I have. That we go wandering. And that we're looking for life in places where we will never find it. And this morning I want us to look at the life of a king 
who went on the same journey. And so I've, I've entitled this talk, From Pride to Praise, A King Bow Down. And the king I'm referring to is King Nebuchadnezzar. And we read about him in Daniel chapter 4. Now just a heads up here. We're going to read a long piece of scripture this morning. But it is impossible to draw any application from this unless we, unless we have the story. It's a fascinating story. I hope you don't drift off and start thinking about your to-do list or so. But this story will captivate you. So it's Daniel chapter 4. I'm going to pick it up in verse 4. It says the following. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came to my presence, and I told him the dream. These are the visions I saw while I was lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. Verse 13, in the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its, off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals along the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal, till seven times pass by for him. Then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So he said, so the king said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Balthazar answered, My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you, for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. 
and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. Verse 29. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence, by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And even as these words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what, what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox. Seven times will pass by you for until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and, and became even greater than before. Verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything He does is right, and all His ways are just. And those who walk in pride, He is able to humble. My goodness, what a story. And Daniel chapter 4 really uh, is like the personal testimony of a man who at the time of writing was the most powerful man in the world. Uh, today's terms maybe think somebody like the President of the United States, although that can be debated. <laughs> it's the early six, 600s before Christ. In Babylon, the Jews have been taken captive, and Nebuchadnezzar is the king of this great empire, and boy does he know it, his heart swells with pride. He has the palace, the power, the peace, the prosperity, the pleasure... But he has no God. And uh, some of us are just stubborn before we would seek God's face, before we would acknowledge that God exists. For some people have to face a major trial before they will seek his face. You can't tell them the truth. They have to experience something to get to a place where they will acknowledge God. I placed myself squarely in that category. Nobody could talk to me about God. Wouldn't listen to them. Not, only, not even my wife, who was the most gracious and patient and unbelievable person with me. I wouldn't listen. And so one day I'm sitting in my office. And I get a call from the headmaster of the school where our eldest daughter was. 
And I'll never forget that call. It was a life-defining, life-changing moment for me. The call went something like this. Mr. Brennerkamp, we need to speak to you. Your daughter is seriously ill. That call set a new trajectory for my life. And God began to push some buttons so that he could get my attention. I am in Nebuchadnezzar's company here. Everything was cool. But God got his attention through some circumstances. And sadly, some people will hold off acknowledging God right to the end of their lives. And even where some will fail to acknowledge him, even when faced with a Christless eternity, surely the worst thing that can happen to any human being is the Christless eternity. But God has ways of humbling us and getting us to a place to acknowledge Him. And He was beginning to move in on our King. He was beginning to make it known to Him and push some buttons that He would eventually, eventually acknowledge Him. And so He gives Him this dream. And in this dream, it's of a large tree, and this tree was to be cut down. The only positive news was that the stump would remain. The tree would not be uprooted in its entirety. And there will be a bronze ring around it. Bronze in the Bible speaks of, of judgment. And so, now one day our king was beginning to sweat a little bit. God was going to do something outrageous with this king. But he was going to do it to get him to a place where he would acknowledge the king of Daniel. The most high God. And so radical is this thing that God is doing with him. At first Daniel says, I can't share this with you. It is too radical. But eventually... Daniel says to the king that he's going to be judged for seven periods of time. This period, the little Hebrew word is idan. It, it simply means a period. But when you begin to scratch around this passage, you'll discover that what he's really referring to here is seven years. That's a long time. This wasn't a momentary affliction that came across him. This was seven years of hell for Nebuchadnezzar. And in this time, he would not only lose his power and his glory, but also his rationality, which distinguished him as a human being. He would become like an animal, like a wild beast. The one who thought he was godlike would become beast-like to discover that he was human after all. And the only advice that Daniel could give him is renounce your sins, live righteously. But I've discovered that when pride is firmly established in the heart of a man or a woman, it's only a matter of time before we lose the plot and listen to Nebuchadnezzar even a year after Daniel's words of warning. Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power, the glory of my majesty, what he's saying is what I've built here is based on my intelligence, my initiative, my control. I'm the cause, the origin, the source of this greatness. It's all about me. This is pride speaking. Gets its pleasure from self-reliance and self-sufficiency and independence. I've built this great Babylon. It's all about me. Now, just a little sidestep here. Before you are too quick to dismiss pride as something that only successful people struggle with, listen carefully. You may feel like a nobody. You may say to me, I'm not self-sufficient at all. I've achieved nothing. This morning as I sit here, I feel like a total failure. I feel crushed. You may say all these things, 
see your life as a total failure, but the very pain that you feel is still owing to this desperateness in you for human praise, for success. You see, you see, the successful person doesn't think that the grace of God is needed. The unsuccessful person doesn't think that the grace of God is sufficient. And so Nebuchadnezzar is reduced to acting like an ox. His ability to scheme and to plan and to strategize and to manipulate and to build his kingdom, all of that's out the window. He has one thing that keeps him going. Finding food for his stomach. Eating ox Eating grass like an ox. This once powerful, self-proclaimed God can think, can think of nothing more than filling his stomach. And so Nebuchadnezzar's insanity is imposed on him so that God can bring him to a place where he can be utterly dependent on him for his life, for his breath, for everything. And in verse 34, we hear a very different king speaking. At the end of my days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. This text, my friends, and now we're moving into application. This text teaches us that the opposite of pride is praise. The opposite of pride is praise, the sovereignty of God. This is where Nebuchadnezzar lands. He says, His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and does, and does according to His will in the host of the heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can stay hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar comes to his senses and he begins to see that it's not about him at all. It's all about God. And two great revolutions take place when we, when we replace pride for praise. Two things happen. I want us to see it in this text this morning. The first is an intellectual revolution. It is a revolution in the way that we think about God. We see it clearly in verse 32b. He says, the voice from heaven says that Nebuchadnezzar will eat grass like an ox. Until you have learned in your mind, until you have acknowledged, until you come to your senses. It's a revolution in the way that we think about God. And so the biblical way out of this humiliation for Nebuchadnezzar, and it's no different for us, is a revolutionary change in the way that we think about God. The truth that God rules must grip our minds. And the sovereignty of His will must be the foundation for our lives. That's where it all starts for us. And so Nebuchadnezzar is, is convinced that this talk of by my power and for my glory is futile. It's nothing. And he replaces this by God's might and for God's glory. Can you see this? The shift happening in his head as he thought about it. But it's not just an intellectual revolution. He didn't just learn it in his head. He also felt it in his heart. And so the other revolution that takes place is a revolution of the way we feel about God. 
And that's the whole point of verse 34. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him. My friends, what's happened here? Well, I'll tell you what's happened. Our King has become a worshiper. A person who does justice to the sovereignty of God is a person who sings about it. And so the biblical opposite of pride is not just thinking about the sovereignty of God, not just pondering the sovereignty of God, but it is singing about the sovereignty of God. It's praising Him. It's resting on Him. It's delighting in Him. Can I ask you this morning, do you have a song in your heart about God? Are you delighting in God? Are you resting on God? Or is He a little sideshow to your life? But deep down, you trust yourself more than you trust Him. We need to sing about this. Worshippers sing about God. We have a song in our hearts. We find rest knowing that in every circumstance, every relationship, every experience, every location, our lives are in the hands of a powerful, wise, caring God. And from His vantage points, there are no slip-ups, no misunderstandings, no mistakes. Nothing has fallen through the cracks. Even though your life may not be on track this morning the way you see it. Because you know what? We do not get to write our own scripts. Our story has been written for us. What we do get is a loving God who calls us to live within the plan that He's got for us. That's what we get. Oh, Christopher, there are times where I wish I was in control. Just give me that joystick. Let me be in charge of my life. Well, you know what? God won't allow you. Not because He's not loving, but because when that happens, we sign up for crushing disappointments. Not because God is cruel, but because we let ourselves down with delusions of personal sovereignty. My friends, you and I aren't sovereign. God is. And it's one thing for us to come here Sunday after Sunday with our hands in the air and to proclaim it and to believe it. What happens tomorrow morning? Are you sovereign? Or is God sovereign? Are you trying to make life work according to you? Or are you placing your life in the hands of a Savior? That's in control that we can trust. God is in absolute control. I want you to hear that. You may say this morning, my life is complete chaos. Nothing of it looks like it. God is in control and is infinitely good. Of course He knows there'll be time that you wish you can write your own story. Of course He knows there are times that you will be overwhelmed with what's on your plate. Of course He knows there will be times that His plan totally confuse you. But He also knows that true rest cannot be found in understanding because we don't have the ability to understand. True rest, my friends, comes when we find rest in the One who controls everything that we can't understand.
you and I don't know what's going to happen next. We had a stark reminder of that this morning, just hearing about Yaku's family. We don't know. We don't even know what's going to happen when we leave this building. Never mind tomorrow or the next. We don't know. And honestly, facing our lack of sovereignty will produce one of two things in your life. Listen carefully. It will either bring anxiety or it will bring relief. Anxiety is God forgetting. Anxiety is God forgetting. It's this thinking that everything in my life rests on my shoulders, my ability to make life work, my ability to pull life off. It all rests on me. I need to work hard to manipulate, to control. It's anxiety that's God forgetting. My friends, if that doesn't kill you, it will leave you exhausted. I promise you that. Uh, 18 months ago or so, I was working on a business transaction where I was working myself into the ground. And I thought that I had everything lined up, every box tick, every I dotted, every situation controlled, every relationship under my manipulation, everything was going swimmingly. And at 99.9, the whole deal came crashing down. And to say that I was disappointed was the understatement. Devastated would be a better description. And in my pain, I just heard God saying, Krista, leave this to me. You're not sovereign. You cannot control your life. Trust me. 18 months later, we get a chance to revisit that deal. This time, under completely different circumstances. This time I'm trusting. Not for my outcome. God, you're sovereign. You know what's best for me. And we close the transaction in half a day. Anxiety. God forgetting. There is a much better way to live. It is God remembering. And our king got it. Nebuchadnezzar got it. It took him a while. Listen to his words. He, listen to what he's, what he's describing. He says, I'm coming to a place where I have complete confidence in you. He says, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And he does according to his will among the host of heavens and among the inhabitants of the earth. What's happened here? Real rest come in the relief that our lives are in the careful hands of a God who defines wisdom, power, and love. And in those moments... Our life is in His control. And He's found complete assurance and confidence. He speaks like a man whose pride has just been smashed by grace. And grace not only smashes our pride, but it gives us a confidence and a hope that you and I can never self-generate. When the penny drops in our hearts, when grace comes to knock on our door, we will be filled with hope, but not because of our brilliance, our genius, our achievements. Look at what I've done, Nebuchadnezzar, look what I've built. We will have hope and confidence because of who God is. 
and He's sovereign. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live another day not sold out to Him, worshiping Him, being in a relationship with Him, designed, living the way that He designed me, not for myself, but for a sovereign God. God forgetting anxiety, God remembering relief, relief. Jesus called what Nebuchadnezzar found life. He called it life. This issue that Nebuchadnezzar was struggling with is exactly the question that Jesus posed. He said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Nebuchadnezzar, on his way to gaining the whole world, was rescued from a personal disaster. How about you? Are you on a mission to gain the whole world? Are you absorbed by answering every question in life except the ultimate one? My friends, the life that Jesus invites us to look very different. It is a life built on grace. And grace will smash our pride. Grace will explode in your life in a moment and carry you all into eternity. Grace is why God sent His Son into the world to do what you and I couldn't do. To transform us from what we are, sinners far from God, to what we become, lovers of God with intimacy with Him. Grace will give you a joy and a song in your heart like you can never generate yourself. Grace is something that's God, child, you never deserve, but can always expect. Grace will require you to confess your unworthiness, but will never ever make you feel alone and unloved. Grace will remind you again and again that you and I have no power whatsoever to generate favor from God for us, but it will dispel the myth that we're not measuring up. Grace will cause us again to have joy and celebration in our lives. And as was the case with our king this morning, grace will come crashing down on your kingdom of one, but will lure you into a kingdom of a great king, a glorious king. And grace will take you to the end of yourself. And while it holds you there, it comes with a promise of fresh starts and new beginnings. Grace is a person, and his name is Jesus. What will it take for us this morning to make this jump that our king made from pride to praise? And perhaps you're not even a follower of Christ. You came through the doors this morning and somebody invited you. This invitation is for you. It's the start of a new life. It's a radical life. But let me say to those of us who've been around the block and followers of Christ for a lengthy time, this invitation is for you. Because let's face it, pride comes into our lives. It makes us self-righteous, self-sufficient, self-reliant, 
independent, gives us the delusion that we're sovereign. And that's where you find yourself this morning. The invitation from the Bible is to come back to our Holy God, who is sovereign, and to trust Him, to put your life in His hands, to be God-remembering. Because, my friends, the alternative will leave you exhausted if it doesn't kill you. And grace is knocking on our doors this morning. Jesus is standing with his arms wide open, just like my little two-year-old daughter did. And he's ready for us to run into his presence. And you and I know it's the best thing we can do with our lives. And what's stopping you? What's stopping you this morning? To make the jump from pride to praise, to become worshippers.